Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Terry. If we haven't met, um, man, come introduce yourself after the gathering. I'd, I'd love to, to meet you. Uh, as you can see, we've been going through a series going uh, through the seven core descriptors of our church, our DNA, what makes us us. And that sounds familiar to the next steps thing that Colton uh, talked about that's going to be coming up. And it kind of is. It's kind of an introductory to those ideas. And then next steps is a place where you get to unpack them. But this series has been a way for in this public gathering to kind of let you see under the hood, so to speak, of, of who we are and what we do, why we do it. Again, as uh, Pastor James just talked about and you saw the video of, next week we will be having Testimony Sunday. And then following that, we will be picking up in where we left off, going verse by verse, precept upon precept, through the Gospel of Luke. And Pastor James and I are pretty stoked about getting into that. We've enjoyed this, this kind of topical series, but the bread and butter of our church is uh, verse by verse through the Word of God. And so we're, we're excited about that. But this morning, I'm going to be concluding this series of at our core with a, a core descriptor of diverse. We look to seek to be a diverse church. Now, let's pause right there. <laughs> that can be a triggering term these days, can't it? If I say the word diversity, that can be triggering. It can be a term that's seen in a political sense and thus cause people to kind of jump to some conclusions that won't apply to us as a church. If you're more on the political right, and you heard me say that word diverse, you um, this morning may be thinking, man, I've, I have to go through diversity, equity, and inclusion training at work. I'm tired of these buzz, buzzwords. I'm tired of talking about all, all these things. Why are you doing it here today? If you're more on the politically left, uh, you may be saying to yourself, finally, we get to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is what the church should be about. It's about time. Um, well, let me assure you this morning, if either of those are you, this will not be that, okay? This is not what we're doing this morning. This is not DEI training of any sort. Rather, it's further training in the gospel specifically regarding our approach to ethnicity, socioeconomics, and generations as a church body. So that's kind of where we're heading this morning. It's further training in the gospel in these specified areas in how we seek to be and do church together. So in order to establish common ground this morning, I'm going to start in a place that is usually a good place to start, and that is by defining our terms. You've seen it up here on the screen for a while, but when we say diverse, we mean a specific thing. When we as a church say diverse, we mean that we seek to be ethnically, socioeconomically, and generationally mixed. Now notice that's a very broad uh, definition of diversity, isn't it? It includes ethnic diversity, which is what we normally think of when we hear that word, uh, but it also includes socioeconomic and generational diversity. In other words, it means that we seek to have a church. Now, when I say seek, you're going to hear that word repeated over and over this morning because it's, these things can be difficult to achieve, and we will never achieve any of our seven core descriptors perfectly because we're fallen people. But these are things that we strive for. These are things that we seek and ask God for. But um, we seek to have a church made up of people who don't look like us, 
who don't have the same backgrounds of, as us, who may have disagreements with us on the uh, non-essential matters, uh, who are of different societal status, so to speak, who may be of a different vintage of us. So you may not have gray hair like me. You may not have any hair more like me. You may be older than me or younger than me. We're looking for diversity in all of these areas. So we're already, as you may see, we're already beginning to depart from the world's notion of diversity. And we'll continue to do that today because the gospel-centered, biblically-rooted view is its own thing. And we're going to be exploring that today. And as we did in previous messages in this series, I'm going to walk through that definition kind of in reverse. Okay, So if you're following along in your weekly there, and I would encourage you to, to write some things down today, even if it's just to check me afterward, uh, I'd love to talk more about these things. But first you'll see that a biblically-rooted and gospel-centered church seeks, again, seeks, this is what we're striving for, generational Diversity. And you'll find that in Psalm 78. And we'll cover this section quickly because we addressed it during the generationally minded core descriptor. But if we're going to be generationally minded, um, there's a prerequisite of being generationally mixed. <laughs> right? Those things kind of come together. So uh, we want to talk about both of them, but we're going to take this one relatively quick, quickly today. Psalm 78, 4 through 7, say this. We will not hide, this is an Old Testament principle, we will not hide them, the teachings of the word, the word of God, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Right, that's why we just sang this song. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So here we see the Old Testament biblical precedent that the people of God should tell about the works of God to the generations that come behind them, the subsequent sons and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons in order to accomplish this, the biblical, uh, this biblical principle, the church cannot be guilty of the sin of partiality regarding generations. You're going to hear that, that phrase this morning a lot, partiality, the sin of partiality. We hear we must avoid the sin of partiality when it comes to generations. Uh, sometimes a church can err. Everything is on the sen in the sense that everything is about the next generation. Right? Everything is about the, the, the youth and the kids and the younger and, and um, you know, maybe young singles and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then those that, uh, if, if you're part of the young singles, you might say, well, the, the, old, the people that look like me are old and stuffy and we don't, we don't want anything to, to do with them. Uh, but then if it's all about the kiddos, they could say, well, if you don't have kids yet, you're not part of a family yet, you single people, you guys don't matter now. Or if you're empty nesters, you guys don't matter. The church can, can err on either side of that. And some churches are all about the older people. You know, it's, it's us four and no more, right? We're not letting anybody in. We're the frozen chosen. It's only us, and we don't care about the next generation. The church can fall in all these ditches if we're not careful. Um, and, and none of them reflect God's design for the world, let alone His church. 
So we want to be careful with that. As Reach Life Church, we believe that if we're going to reflect God's design for disciple-making, right, passing on the truths of the Scriptures and what God has done to the subsequent generations, we must be a generationally diverse congregation of people. This is how God has designed things to work. And I would encourage you, um, if you want to dig more into that, Pastor James preached a message on that when we covered... um, being uh, generationally minded. So I would encourage you to go back onto YouTube or on our website or something like that and check out that message. Um, He goes into a lot more detail on that one. So we want to be generationally diverse. If you're following along in your weekly second, a biblically rooted and gospel-centered church seeks socioeconomic diversity. And again, I want to emphasize that word seeks because this is something we strive for. Uh, But go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. This is a really uh, famous passage in Scripture uh, throughout church history, but it's vitally important for us to always be reminded of these things, even if they're familiar to you, because it steers our desires as a church to be a socioeconomically diverse church. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 say this. My brothers, show no partiality. There's that word again, partiality, right? Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But, here's this word again, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's the word of God. And this passage is core to diversity in general, but specifically socioeconomic diversity. It's warning against the sin of partiality. Do you guys realize that the scriptures warn against the sin of partiality here in the sense of socioeconomic partiality? So first, um, I want to kind of break that down. Most obviously, it warns against economic partiality, right? It's talking about the poor and the rich and things like that here. And here, again, just like we talked about erring in terms of generations, the church can fall in a ditch on either side of the um, economic piece of this. You know, I grew up in a, um, a less well-to-do environment. I'll just say that. Okay. And we had, we showed partiality actually against anyone who had money, right? A, a phrase that sticks out in my mind that a close family member would say on repeat, man, nobody should ever have that much money. And I would ask, even as a kid, how much, what do you mean that much money? And it always seems to be a little bit more than they had. There's this envy, 
is, is what it ends up being. And, and that, that, that's sin in and of itself, but that births a further sin of partiality against people who had money. They just weren't one of us. You know, we, that's not our background. Maybe, maybe some of you come from a similar background as me and had a similar mentality. Um, it's an interesting, interesting kind of paradigm, if you will. And may this not be in the church, right? That's the sin of partiality if we delve into that. But in Jesus' day, it was kind of what's being described here. They had a more stratified culture, almost like a caste system, you know? And so they would see people who were less well-off, maybe poor, maybe begging for money, and they automatically judged that person based on where they were economically if they were low. Um, and, you know, you may, you may see that in our society today. You may see it in, God forbid, in our church. You may see it in your own heart where you may, think, you may see someone, for example, who's homeless. And you think, well, they're only there purely because of the choices they've made. Right? Or you may think they're poor because, man, they love sin and they're, they're lazy. There may be some of that. We're all sinners. They may, they, there may be some of that. But to judge them and think they're only there because of that is what I'm pointing out. And this is similar to what Jesus is describing here. Again, may this not be in our church. This is the sin of partiality. It is a ditch on either side. You see what I'm saying? It's a ditch on either side. As a church, we, I want us to, to look under a, a, a person's economic status and see the person. Like, see the actual person that's in front of us, right? And, and not prejudge them based on where they are. Um, we want to see them as someone made in the image of God who is precious like I am and like you are, but who is also a sinner like I am and, and like you are. They are both. And as a church, we want to avoid the sin of partiality when it comes to economically looking at someone. We must be a diverse Congregation, And by God's grace, we actually do exhibit diversity like this in our church. And I pray that God would continue to work in us to help us further embrace one another, despite wherever, whatever our economic differences are, that we would look beyond those and see people, right, see people. But there's two categories to the socioeconomic thing, isn't there? There's the economic part. There's also the, the social part, the societal part, the cultural part. This is the idea of, of the, the culture, and, and a part of our culture is our I, part of our cultures are our ideas. Easy for me to say, right? The things that we think, the opinions that we hold. Have you guys noticed that our culture is getting more stratified that way also? Like if I think this and you think that, the twain shall never meet, we're enemies. It can be sports or politics or theology or whatever. It's like we're not talking to each other, man. Um, so ideologically, we can be uh, segregated in that kind of way. Um, but we're not, advocating, we're not advocating as a church the, uh, the, the worldly or the secular notion of having, diverse, having diversity where we all uh, look different, but we think the same. That's not what we're talking about here. We hold the concept of unity in the essentials as a church, charity in the non-essentials. Unity in the essentials, charity on secondary issues. So it may, uh, and what do I mean by primary things or the essentials? I mean things that have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things like the nature and identity of God, the uh, person of Jesus, uh, the, the nature of the scriptures, 
Are they indeed the word of God to us and authoritative? Those, those sorts of core things we want to have unity in. And, and, if, and if you don't, um, I'm not judging you, but this may not be your tribe, right? And that's okay, but we, we may not be your tribe. But in secondary issues, what's going to happen at the end of time or um, how, what's our polity? How do we do the church thing? Set some secondary issues. We want to have charity in that way. So that's, that those, that's in the area of ideas. It also applies in the area of demographics a little bit. Styles, flavors, cultures. You may hear, when you walk in here, if you get here early, you may hear a Christian rap song play. Right? During our worship, you may hear some contemporary worship music. Sometimes during our offertory, you hear a more classical approach played on the keys. You may hear some combination of those, of those flavors somewhere throughout, or something else somewhere throughout our culture. Um, some sort of mix that way. I don't want us, though, to fall into the ditch of saying our way is the only way culturally to do things. And so we need to have a diverse um, approach to these sorts of things. And in biblical days, um, it was more... Uh, Cultures were more stratified overtly, where if you're, if you're Gentile and you're Jew, your culture looks different than mine, my culture looks different to you, we don't go together. Even, even Samaritans, we don't, we don't go together. But church, our culture is more mixed. Even in America, it's like the, uh, it's the melting pot. But I just want to, to put on our, our radar, let's not have internal bias that way. Our tends to be a little more hidden, but we have it in our hearts in minds. I want you to consider uh, Jesus' own teaching on these things when he says, when you've done something to the least of these, you've done it unto him, right? This is the least of the poor, the least that are considered in society. Jesus says, when you've done something kind, something loving to someone who doesn't fit your niche of what you prefer and who you are and your economic status and those sorts of things, you've done it to me. In other words, you've kind of done it to Jesus in disguise, so to speak. Jesus says, love them like you would love me in that sense. So thirdly, and, and probably biggest, we're going to spend most of our time here, uh, and probably the most thorny, right? Uh, a biblically rooted and gospel-centered church seeks ethnic diversity. Galatians is where we're going to be for this one. A biblically rooted and gospel-centered church seeks ethnic diversity. Galatians chapter 3 tells us in verses 27 through 28, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the word of God too. This passage encapsulates the biblical view of, get this phrase, I want us to hear this phrase this morning, Primary identity. This passage encapsulates the idea, the biblical idea of primary identity. Um, we know from other Old, Old Testament passages and New Testament passages that it's not suggesting that our ethnicity doesn't matter. Just like it's not suggesting that it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Those things matter or whether you're slave or free. All these things really do matter. It matters quite a bit. The New Testament letters talk a lot about how to, how to navigate ethnic barriers and those sorts of things uh, within the church. 
Plus, we'll see how beautiful the true mosaic of ethnic plurality, of many ethnicities before the throne of God is going to look when we get to our closing passage in the book of Revelation. But rather than suggesting that our ethnicity doesn't matter, again, it really does. And I would even go further and say not only does it matter, your ethnicity is sacred to God. He gave it to you. Right? It, is, it is a blessing to you by God himself. But this passage is saying, and, and you're going to see this on the screen, the biblical view is that even our God-given ethnicity is not our primary identity. Rather, our primary identity is in Christ as belonging to and being made new by him. And that is what ultimately defines us. Therefore, it is also what unites us across ethnicities. I'm going to read that again. We have to get this in our minds. In our culture today, we are being fed from all political spectrums something different. And the gospel-centered, biblically-rooted view is something else. Listen to this. The biblical view is that even our God-given ethnicity, right, it's holy, is not our primary identity. Rather, our primary identity is in Christ as belonging to and being made new by him. And that is what ultimately defines us. And therefore, it is also what ultimately unites us across ethnicities. This runs counter to the cultural view, the worldly view of identity, doesn't it? How we view ourselves, how we view others, and how we structure our systems. Therefore, as always, the church will and should be quite different from the world. So I want to stop here and notice that the, the Bible presents a concept. And again, I want you to hear these phrases. A concept of true plurality, that is multi-ethnic. True plurality without partiality in any direction. Hear me again. The biblically rooted, gospel-centered view presents us with true ethnic plurality, diversity, without partiality in any direction. So I want to stop again and notice that both in the world and in the church, we can err on one, one or the other ditch in the road. And I want you to see how Reach Life seeks, again, seeks to follow the biblical model. Instead, on one side of the ditch, you have partiality against ethnic minorities, and here's where ethnic minorities are treated less than based purely on their ethnicity. And those in the ethnic majority are viewed and treated as superior purely based on their ethnicity. This has sadly existed in all cultures throughout all times and all places and all people. This is part of the sinful nature of the human soul. But it certainly happened here in the United States. Here in the U.S. it's usually been BIPOC communities, people who are black, indigenous, or people of color. And to show partiality against these or any other group based on their ethnicity is blatant racism. And racism is counter to the gospel-centered, biblically-rooted view of people. The Bible condemns this sort of classical racism because it is the sin of, you've heard this word a thousand times this morning, partiality. The Bible condemns this as sin. We as a church condemn that as sin. And then on the other side of the ditch, you have the model of intersectionality where it's oppressor versus oppressed narratives or you versus me. This is newer on the scene over the last couple of decades. And really in this kind of view, the rules are the same. 
but the roles are reversed. You hear that? The rules are the same, but the roles are reversed. Here, the ethnic majority are condemned purely based on their ethnicity. And the ethnic minority are elevated purely on the basis of their ethnicity. Listen, if we're going to be logically and biblically consistent, we want to do both of those as a church, God help us, we must acknowledge that this also is racism. It's judging someone based on their ethnicity. And again, racism is counter to the biblically rooted, gospel-centered view of humanity. The, The Bible condemns this new type of racism because it also is the sin of partiality. Again, the church seeks not to fall in either of these ditches. Rather, we try, we hope, by God's grace, to see people and their ethnicity, to appreciate it, to see it as sacred, and not judge one another according to it. You follow me? The Bible is in neither one of these ditches. The gospel-centered view is something other. It is something else. And we seek to have a body made up as a church of the beautiful mosaic of ethnicities and cultures that God has made. It's a way to to honor God himself because he has made it. Now, let's be honest. Can we have a moment of honesty? This is hard to do. Okay, this is a very difficult thing to do. Worship gatherings, if you've noticed, if you've been a Christian for a while, worship gatherings, not just in the United States, but throughout the world, are the most segregated places on the calendar. Sunday mornings, man, are segregated. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's because it's very difficult for things to not be segregated. For example, being a white pastor, and James, James is kind of white. James is... James, yeah, James is uh, half, half Caucasian and half Asian. But culturally, James is white. And so for us, seeking to have a vibrant, multi-ethnic gathering is like trying to get credit at the bank when you don't have credit. If you notice, like one of the prerequisites to get credit at the bank is having good credit already. Right. One of the best ways to we we want more ethnic diversity in our gatherings because we think it reflects heaven. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But the best way to um, have a more have more ethnic diversity is to already be an ethnically diverse crowd. That's very difficult to do. Again, it's like trying to get credit at the bank. You know, every church that I've ever been part of, that I've ever spoken to, that I've ever even heard of finds it very difficult for this, on this particular aspect of diversity. Uh, this is especially the case, I want you to hear this, this is especially the case when ethnic diversity is not the primary identity of the church. Then it becomes tough. It's especially difficult to have an, a multi-ethnic gathering when ethnic diversity is not the primary identity of the church Uh, It's especially difficult to have a multi-ethnic church when churches teach, like we we strive to do, and I believe we do, that a person's ethnic identity is not their individual primary identity, nor should it be the identity of the church. In other words, the fact that Reach Life Church strives to be a gospel-centered, biblically-rooted church makes it particularly difficult in today's environment because to be a multi-ethnic church because the world is constantly preaching 
that your ethnic identity or other identity is your primary identity. Isn't that what's being said out there? The Bible teaches something different. <laughs> the Bible, the biblically rooted gospel-centered view um, is that we are in Christ and the gospel unites us, right? We, we just read that in the passage. There's no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. We are in Christ and Christ is all and Christ is in all. We'll get into that in just a minute. But because we're a biblically rooted gospel-centered church, it will be particularly difficult for us to have a multi-ethnic gathering. And let me say the converse is true. It is actually difficult if you're an ethnically uh, diverse church to be a biblically rooted gospel-centered church precisely because you've be, you're being taught that your ethnicity is your primary identity. So that said, being an ethnically diverse congregation, though, I will tell you is particularly important in our day and time. This is an important thing, and that's because, again, I don't know if you've noticed, but despite all the diversity, equity, and inclusion training going on in corporate America and uh, academia and on TikTok, and the ethnic divide in our culture is wider than it's ever been, in my opinion, and it's getting worse. I was talking to my dad, who lived through the 60s race riots here in Asheville, and he tells, and like, like he suffered like physical beatdowns during that time. And he says even now it's worse than he's ever seen it. The divide is getting worse. Therefore, it is more important and more incumbent upon the people of God to show the kingdom of God for the mosaic that it truly is to stand in contrast to the world so the world can see the work of the gospel in our lives. So it's, it's more important. Um, here's the gospel-centered solution, if you're following along in your outline that the church provides, which the culture does not. This is part of us being salt and light in the culture. Here's the gospel-centered solution. The Bible, the biblical view, recognizes that there are cultural differences. There are differences of experience, differences in daily life in the world, differences in obstacles faced, especially socioeconomically and ethnically. But, and this is key, that while there are obvious differences in ethnicities, hear what I'm saying, the concept of race is not a biblical concept. does not fit with the Bible. Just a concept of race at all. Not only is racism unbiblical and sinful, race is a concept that is not, um, does not fit with the biblical view. Uh, let's look at Acts 17, because through creation we are one biological family. You'll see that in your outline. We are one biological family through creation. Acts 17, 25 through 27, say this. Paul says, nor is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. This is the word of God. And there's a treasure trove of, of like nuggets of truth in this passage, but I just want to focus there at, at the first part of verse 26, where it says, 
that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. You know what that means. Do the math. There is only one race. Biblically speaking, historically speaking, truthfully speaking, it's the human race. Racism does not fit with the Bible. You know, like Sister Sledge said back in the 70s, we are family in every sense of the word. Right? This is at the core of the biblical view. It's at the core of Reach Life Church in our view of being a diverse church. Not only are we one biological family, but if we've been made new by Jesus, we are also one spiritual family. That's in your outline as well. Through the gospel, we are one spiritual family. So through creation, we're one biological family. Through the gospel, we're one spiritual family. We'll see this in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 7, how the gospel unites us. Listen to this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is very different from the world, isn't it? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you get this picture? This is a picture of unity in our diversity. Let's do a little bit of theology here this morning. Do you realize that God himself sets the precedent for that kind of unity and diversity? Do you realize that? The classical biblical Christian belief throughout history has always been that God is one being who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, a unity of plurality. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and in spirit. There's a, a Christian author, Aaron Wright, who says it this way. The Trinity is a revelation of God's mission. For eternity, the Father, Son, and Spirit share a loving relationship. And God demonstrates his love by initiating reconciliation with the world. Track with me. Listen to this. Through the Son, we can know the Father. He came to bring us into his family. Through the Holy Spirit, we are drawn to Christ and can introduce others to him. So they too can be part of this family. By the Holy Spirit and through the Son, we can commune with the Father. The Spirit transforms us to look more like the Son and to share his love in the body of Christ. This beauty, harmony, and mission is an extension of of the one true God who eternally exists in three persons. God opens and extends his family so we may enter in and invite others into the family of God as well. Though three distinct persons, they exist in complete, unified oneness, in perfect harmony, and in life-giving you guys realize that before Jesus died in what's called his high priestly prayer, he prayed actually that his disciples, 
would have unity among themselves just like Jesus and the Father had unity among themselves. Our unity in our diversity is rooted in the very nature of God. And for us to be able to worship Him well, we must reflect that diversity among us. Harmony, unity among diversity. This is the heart of God for His people. And we can see this as we kind of draw things funnel to a close here. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we see all of God's people are gathered before the throne to worship the Lord Jesus. And I want to to let this be an inspiration and a challenge to us this morning. We want our worship and our work as a church to reflect the ultimate aim for God and His people. Listen to Revelation chapter 7, 9 to 10. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We want this beautiful future fact. You just got a glimpse into something that will happen, guaranteed, just like Jesus rose from the dead. In the past, this will happen before his feet in the future. And we want our present worship to be a reflection of that. That is why we look to be a diverse church. Listen, diversity can't be forced, but we as a church, um, let me just speak to the Reach Life folks here this morning. I want to leave you with a, a little challenge here. Do you desire, that's a key word, do you desire To worship with others who don't look like you, who don't think in every way like you do on the non-essentials, who don't move in the same social circles as you do, who maybe don't share the same cultural preferences that you do. And I use that word desire because I don't mean just will you tolerate it. That's not heart change. Do you desire for your corporate worship and worshiping with friends and family in your home and in our MCs and as we go out to minister, do you actively desire to worship with the beautiful ethnic and socioeconomic and generational mosaic that God has created? I would argue that that's what God wants to do in our hearts. It's one of the things He wants to do in our hearts. May we um, seek the Spirit of God that He would create such a desire in us. I think it would help us honor him. If there's something that we've talked about this morning or you want to know more about how we view the church, any of our seven core descriptors, things like that, if you want to know more about becoming a covenant uh, part of this family, talk with Pastor James and I after the gathering. Maybe, I, I don't want to leave you out this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus, so you're not part of this amazing picture, this amazing family that God is weaving for himself and then drawing us to one another and then sending us out into the world. Maybe you, you don't know Jesus yet, so you're not, you're not part of that. I just want to say to you this morning, you can be. You can be. This is God's desire for you. You were made for this. This is why he made you. Jesus is the way to this kind of life because Jesus is the way to eternal life. James said earlier, we all need a Savior. Congratulations, there is one. 
His name is Jesus. He wants you to know him. He wants to save you. Um, If you'd like to know more about that, speak to Pastor James and I after the service. Or find someone in here that you trust and ask them how you can become part of the family of God. Well, this picture is of a family that has been purchased by the lifeblood of Jesus. And I want us to transition now to talking about the Lord's Supper. This is something that we do every week. And I I wanted to set this up by reading another passage from the book of Revelation. That's Revelation chapter 5. Look at verses 8 through 14 with me. And consider what Jesus has done. And when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Again, that's Jesus each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, says John, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's the word of God. We get to worship Jesus now, the lamb who was slain for us.